Hello and welcome to the new episode of When the Bible Wasn't There. My name is Marco. I'm Josh. All right, so what are we going to be talking about today? Well, today we're discussing how God is an all-consuming fire and what that means. All right, let's get into it. In the previous discussion, we talked about the greatest desire of the world. And the greatest desire of the world was encapsulated in the characteristics that Jethro told Moses that should be found in the men that were to represent God's character to his people. Yeah, you know, they were steadfast, they were honest, they were unchanging, unmoving in truth, and doing what was right. And we see that the Hebrew people, they're looking for a certain type of characteristics in their own life. They, yeah. want, they want things to be steadfast, they want things to be consistent, they want to be able to rely on something. Yeah. And this whole time, God has been trying to show them through his miracles, through his representatives, what you're looking for is me. Yeah. And the thing is that they had a little confusion. They they wanted stability. They wanted something that was unchangeable. But they looked that in the object. For example, they thought, well, water brings us, you know, security brings us life. They trusted in the intrinsic value of water. And God wants to shift that to him. Yeah. But now they come to a point where God brings them. To, to the Mount of Sinai. You know, this Mount of Sinai has a lot of history. Moses, when he fled from Egypt, he came to take care of the sheep in front of this mountain. And this is where he encountered God in a burning bush. Yeah. This is where he heard the voice of, the, of God coming out of the fire. And God is bringing them through all this majesty of creation to kind of show them something. Yeah. Say, look, I, I, you want something that's steadfast. You want something that can provide I'm the one who created all of this, who provides for all these creatures. I'm the one who holds creation in my hand. Yeah. And, you know, there's a verse that says that he, you know, weighs the mountains and puts the hills in balance, right? And he's trying to get that point across to them. Yeah. Another, another point that I see here is that he brings them out of Egypt. He calls them out. And he calls them out to himself. He brings them to the mountain, to nature, where they can see visible attributes of who God is. Yeah. And in, in the Psalms it says, you know, the heavens and the earth declare the glory of the Lord. Mm. In Romans it says his invisible attributes are visible, yeah. including his eternal Godhead, are visible through nature. You mentioned a verse and I really like this one. The one that it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The glory. You know, when we talk about the glory, what are we talking about? You know, when we, later on we will see when Moses asks God, can I see your glory? He says, oh, let my goodness pass before you. It seems that it's, let me pass my love in front of you. Let me pass my mercy in front of you. Let me pass my justice in front of you. And we see that God, at this point, he wants to take this relationship that he has between his people and himself to the next level. Yeah. You know, ever since they came out of Egypt, he has trying to be building trust after trust after trust to the point where now he's ready for something a little bit more intimate. And we do this as humans. Yeah, in every relationship, we it has to grow. It can't stay stagnant, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't go on the first day and tell the girl, hey, marry me. Like you have <laughs> to get to a certain point where you know that her answer would probably be yes and that it's okay to ask that. Right. So God is now at a point where he's ready to take his relationship with the Israelites to the next level. Yeah. And he tells Moses something interesting. He says, you need to get the camp ready. In three days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and we're going to meet and I'm going to speak verbally to the people. But you need to get the camp ready. But here's the thing. You know, the people, of, you know, God's people, 
we have seen all the complaining that they have been doing up, up to this point. And I would imagine, you know, they had accused Moses of bringing them, of planning to kill them and take their stuff. And if I were God's people, I would say, wow, this is a really good time to see if Moses is really genuine. You know, this is a good time to see if what he's saying is actually true. Yeah. So I can feel the excitement of the people saying, wow, he's coming. He's going to talk to us. Let's see what he has to say. You know, he has provided for us after all. Let's see who this God is. But there has to be some preparation involved. And as we continue to read in Exodus 19, this preparation, it's a little, um, a little strange. It is. And, you know, he tells them, you know, go ahead and bathe, clean your clothes, clean the camp, you know, separate yourself from your sins. Mm. But what's interesting to me and what might seem like, you know, contrasting opinions and views is that God says, come to me as you are. He does. He does. But we have to remember we're talking about a relationship here. Yeah. And it grows and it deepens. And when they were leaving Egypt, there was no preconditions. There was nothing like that. It was like, okay, it's time to leave. Let's go. Come to, come me. to me as you are. But now we're deepening the relationship. Now we're growing and, you know, there needs to be some growth. And we also have to remember that up until this point, they have made promises. And yeah. They have said, look, everything that God says, we will do. They have made a covenant. They have promised God many things. Every time that they, they commit a sin, they say, sorry, God. Yeah, we're going to do what Moses tells us. They have promised God that they really want to follow him. So now when we make promises, obviously God takes the relationship to a next level. Yeah. So he gives them three days mm -hmm. to prepare. And these three days pass. And, you know, like you said, the camp is probably excited. People are talking, God is coming. He's going to talk to us. It's going to be great. And all of a sudden, at the end of these three days, a fire descends onto Mount Sinai and it bursts into flames and it shakes and the earth shakes and even Moses says something that when we think about it, it doesn't sound like what we would expect from Moses. Yeah. I mean, he has been in the presence of God many times. But he says, I am extremely fearful and trembling. And I think what we can, we've already established and now it's being reestablished is that when you come into contact with God, you're going to fear him. Yeah. But we see that there are different levels of meeting with God because the first time that God meets Moses in the burning bush, there is no thunder, mm -hmm. there is no earthquake, there's just the fire, just the fire. But now when we read Exodus, it seems that God is going out of his way to make certain points clear to his people. Of how powerful he is, of the reverence that should be shown in his presence, you know set sin aside, clean yourselves, clean the camp, because the place that you're going to be standing is going to be holy ground. This is kind of like the same concept we saw in, on a smaller scale mm -hmm. in the burning bush. Yes. And now it's magnified. But now this impression has to be made to all the, the children of Israel. This has to be impressed upon their minds. And I think that God had to go out of his way to make this clear to them. Yeah. Because they, had, they didn't have a concept of something that was holy something mm -hmm. that was sinless. They didn't have that concept yet. And this is the first time that God is about to pronounce his law. And it's interesting because the way that he's described uh, is as an all-consuming fire in mm -hmm. Hebrews and, you know, his fiery law and a lot of terms that seem kind of scary, mm -hmm. you know, flames and a uh, river of fire flowing from his throne and his throne is fiery. It's found all over scripture. 
but then what does he consume? What is consumable in his presence? Well, you know, I like uh, the way Ty Gibson puts it. He says that sin is combustible in God's presence. The thing, what comes in his presence is what's combustible. So that means that anytime sin comes into his presence, whatever it may be, will be consumed. So in a way here, when we read in Exodus 19, he needed to cover that yeah. so he wouldn't destroy God's people, so he wouldn't destroy Moses to the point where when Moses goes to the mountain, the Bible says that a cloud encircles him. He mm. cannot be in the literal presence of God and still live. God needs to cover him. Now, the covering is very significant. Well, it represents Christ mm -hmm. who came, lived a sinless life for us, and became our covering. And we see this happen all the way in Genesis, you know, when the first human family sins, you know, they lose that automatic covering of the, of the light they had. And they go and they struggle to find something to cover themselves with. Yeah. But it's, it's insufficient to protect them from their own selves, from their sin that will be consumed in the presence of God. Yeah. And the Lord has to provide a covering for them. Yeah. And we see that the reaction that God's people have later on here in chapter 19 is the same that Adam and Eve had, which was, let me hide myself from God. Let me run away from God, if you will. Yeah, God lays out his law for the Hebrew people. And immediately after he's done, you know, th this sense of guilt falls on like a powerful guilt. And they say, you know, Moses, you talk to the Lord, but don't let him talk to us. You know, we're going to be destroyed. We're guilty. We're sinners. Uh, we don't want to talk to him like this. And we see that again in Genesis where the Lord is looking for Adam, calling out to him. And Adam is hiding. Yeah, He hears the voice of God, but now it's something that draws fear and guilt and concern for his own life out of him. Yeah. And I remember when I, was, when I was a child, and I think, you know, we all go through this uh, experience. You know, when you're doing, when you're doing everything, you know, good, and your parents are around and you see your parents coming. You know, many times we, my parents would go out and say, listen, you know, we were homeschooled. They would say, you know, we're going out, make sure you do your work. By the time I come, this better be done. I can already see where the story is going. <laughs> so what happened? Obviously, you know, they would go and I would look at my sister and say, party time. <laughs> we're gonna get some stuff done, right? The minute they would come, it was fear. It was still their sweet voice. It was still their caring voice. But to us, that very same voice was frightening because we know we knew what was coming because we obviously didn't do the work that we should have done, and we knew what was the result. And yeah. I think I think the same thing happens to Adam and Eve here. You know, it's the same sweet voice that God is using when He calls them. Where are you? Mm -hmm. It is the same thing. It's the voice they've always heard. Yeah, but now there's guilt into the picture. And when we jump back to the Hebrews. You know, this is all stuff they've kind of always known. God says, remember the Sabbath. He's not telling them new laws. Yeah. They've forgotten a lot of them. They might not have been practicing them as much, but this draws out of them. This is the law of my father, Abraham, that was given to him. I should have, I should have been following this. I should have had a better relationship with God. I'm guilty. Yeah. And now they don't even want to hear that sweet voice, no. the voice that wants to deepen the relationship with them. So yeah, they're frightened. So God's law is his character revealed. God is revealing to them. And just imagine God's people are listening to law after law after law. You know, an aspect of God, God's character after another aspect. So now God's people are looking at the law. They're sitting there and they're 
they're realizing, wow, I have actually lied. I have withhold certain truths and depicted another reality. I have coveted. I have actually wanted to go back to Egypt. I have trusted in water. I have trusted in food before trusting in God. And at this point, they're guilty, they're ashamed, and they're fearful. Yeah. You know, their guilt and their shame, it hits them like a wave, I would say. And now all they can think about is that they're standing in the presence of a holy God and they're sinners. They're so far away from what they should be, from what God wants them to be. So they're fearful. And we've kind of established this, that that is the natural effect of coming into the presence of a holy God. You are going to fear Him. Yeah. But now they they say something that it's a little, it's understandable. They tell Moses, look, you know, tell God that, you know, we don't want to talk to Him. We want to talk to you. Speaking to God is too, too scary. Speaking to God will show me that I'm a sinner. I really don't want to know that I'm a sinner. Why don't you go ahead talk to him and then, you know, tell us what he said. And this might seem uh, a bit strange, given that God has made an effort to communicate with his people and to take their relationship further. Something I think we neglect when we tell this story is how God feels. And some people might say that that's not something we can really understand. But I would say anyone who's been in a relationship can understand it at the smallest level. Mm. Because if you're in a relationship with someone, you think this relationship is growing and you talk to them and then all of a sudden they say... You get a little more intense. You get a little more intense with them. You know, you, you pour out who you are to them. That's mm. what he does here. Yeah. And they say, you know, I don't really want to talk to you anymore. I'm going to have a third wheel. Come into the, the picture. Come into the picture and he's going to talk to you and then he's going to tell me what you said. That's awful. It's, that's a horrible relationship. It's kind of like trying to break up the relationship right there. Yeah, you're, you're like, you're saying, I don't want to hear your voice. And if someone told you that and you were in a relationship with them, that would hurt a lot. Yeah, because that's pretty much taking a step back. Yeah. You know, they have, you know, God has gone, you know, been with his people through a lot. And when he comes to this point, it's kind of like them saying, you know, let's, um, let's give each other some space. You know, let's take it a step back. And, you know, kind of think about things. You know, I'm not really ready to get to know you to that level. Yeah. And, of course, you know, God might have said, okay. As we continue reading, God says, all right, that is okay. I will step, take a step back. I will talk to Moses. But he doesn't give up. No. He's still there for them. And to me, that is one of the, one of the most beautiful things of God's character. Any human being, you know, any of us would have said, if that's what you want to do, I'm going to break up with you, you know, figure out what you need to figure out. And, you know, and then we can talk and, and in your mind, you would be saying, it's not going to work. It's over. But in God's mind is saying, I understand you. I will take a step back. I will talk to Moses so he can talk to you, but he still continues to be there with them. And the thing is that God has this desire for us, this amazing desire that we can't really understand because our desires are usually for ourselves. Yeah. They're self-centered, you know. What can I get out of this? Oh, that person is very attractive. I would like to be with a person like that. Oh, you know, what would that mean if I could have this and what would people think about me if I had that? It's all about self. Mm. But this isn't a concept that works with God. God is other-centered love. And because he's other-centered love, 
his desires are always outward. You know, yeah. what can I do for these people? What, how can I save them? Oh, how much more? Like Jesus says, what more could I have done in my vineyard that I have not? You know, so everything is about how can I get through to these people? How can I make them understand that I love them, that I want to be with them, that this is all for their benefit? Yeah. You know, taking this to, to relationship terms, Every time that we see that we see relationships, it either might be in the news or you know friends that you've had. When somebody goes through an accident, you know, and you know one of the, and the, his spouse or her spouse, you know, gets into an accident, they become very sick to the point where they can't operate as they usually did. That's usually the end of the relationship, because they married a person who was perfect, then they become imperfect, and then that kind of separates them. Yeah. But there are instances in which we see those cases and they stick together for better and for worse. And I think this is exactly what God does. Yes, people had made mistakes, but he was in there for the long run. Yeah. And you know, there's another aspect of God being called a fire and it happens in Songs of Solomon, which is a book that some of us don't like to talk about. Mm. Some of us would rather it not be in the Bible, <laughs> but it's there. And you know, Solomon writes that his love for his lover is like a flame, like the very flame of the Lord, right? Mm. Everlasting, powerful, intense. That's what God's love is. It's like an ever-burning, intense fire that is other-centered love. Yeah. So, yes, God is an all-consuming fire, but he's also a fire of intense, ever-burning love. And, and in this case, you know, God's people weren't able to take that. And, you know, I was talking to my sister, you know, reminiscing on you know her courtship you know when before she met her husband and stuff like that and i asked her well what would have happened if you know if william that's his name would come to you you know before you knew him very intense you know in a very romantic way saying you know i want to marry you right off the bat and she said well i would you know stay away i don't know who he is and but then she said that later on as she got to know him when he popped the question it was almost a given yes because she knew him because she knew him and i think this is exactly what happens to god's people they really haven't comprehended who god is to the point where god comes with this intensity of revealing his character they are ashamed they're they are filled with guilt and they pull back they're like i don't want this now but then god wants to take us to a point where when he pops the question will you marry me we will actually say yes everything about who god is his character the way he creates what he creates the way he describes himself goes to show his tender loving fatherly care and his desire to make you happy <laughs>